Based on the location of the wreckage, our best estimate of the crash site is here. From there, the survivors were carried by the ocean's current to here, an uninhabited island in the Lesser Sunda Islands known as Mambata. As you've all read in your briefing books, on day 103, a typhoon washed up the remnants of an Indonesian fishing boat, including basic supplies and a survival raft. On day 108, the remaining six survivors, including Miss Austin's baby, which she gave birth to on the island of Mumbada, used this raft to journey here, an island called Sumba. They then came ashore near a village called Manyukonga. This photo was taken by the local fishermen who found them. Once it was discovered who they were, they were transported to Honolulu by the U.S. Coast Guard. As you can imagine, this has been an extraordinarily trying experience. They have, however, agreed to answer a few questions. So, ladies and gentlemen, the survivors of Oceanic 815. Just a clarification. Lost is over, but we have to go back down the hatch. It's the Lost Rewatch podcast here on Post Show Recaps, talking about the first part of the season four finale. There's no place like home. There's no place like home with Mike Bloom. Hi, Josh, Mike. Do you know who plays that oceanic representative? Yes. That Michelle seen? Forbes. Yes, Michelle Forbes. Uh, people might know her more so during her roles as maybe Ensign Roe Laren in Star Trek The Next Generation. She had a, a run on BSG. Yes. Uh, she also played Marianne the Maynad on True Blood for season two. So she was um, Michelle Forbes. Uh, I don't know if she was, she, I don't think she was chief of staff or she was the press secretary for David Palmer in season two of 24. Uh, once upon a time, I would have known her, her name on that show. Uh, what was her name on the show? Lynn Kresge. Yeah, Lynn Kresge. Yeah, she falls, sorry, spoiler alert for 24. She falls down a flight of stairs, uh, cause she gets chased by a bunch of like conspirators who are trying to, uh, get David Palmer removed from office. And she that's tries kind of, to like, that's kind of a lame way to save die. him. She doesn't, it's never quite clear if she dies or not. She gets like carted off to the hospital and you never see her again. Um, but given that 24, like literally basically almost never let anyone just leave the show. Mm. There's like probably like in terms of like important characters, even if they were just important for a season, you basically had to die to leave. Uh, not always, but often. So yeah, I would assume she's dead. <laughs> so unfortunately going out one of the most badass characters on star trek tng ends up going out in which seems like one of the most doofy ways in 24 altogether it's i don't know iconic if it season two she just falls down a set of stairs and then mike novak who's the uh, chief of staff for david palmer who's part of the conspiracy 
which is a real surprise. I'm spoiling 24 outright. Uh, it's well, that's, been what people, that's what people come for, right? Multiple decades, it feels like at this point. Like 20 years since it premiered. This this stuff that I'm talking about is like a 19-year-old spoiler. I feel okay. Uh, Mike Novak, he's one of the conspirators. <gasps> and like he was friends with Lynn Kresge. And then he just lets her fall down the stairs, basically. He doesn't like it that it happened. He's really upset. But then she's like trying, like as she's being like wheeled out, she's trying to tell David Palmer something happened. She's trying to like reach out her hand to point at Mike Novak. And Mike Novak reaches and grabs her hand to be like, it's going to be okay, Lynn. Sort of like uh, like when Libby's like, Michael, Michael. And he's like, yeah, Michael's totally fine. He's fine. He's okay. Oh, no. Yeah, it's sort of like that. And then they put her in the ambulance and David Palmer doesn't know until it's too late that people are trying to get him out of power. So is there an alternate take of the scene where the cargo plane touches down where someone pushes Karen Decker (laughs) off the plane onto the runway? Maybe. I always love when Michelle Forbes shows up in anything. Uh, she's just one of those actors that like I'm thrilled to see anytime and she's the person who's repping Oceanic 815 and I'm not going to be the I'm not going to give her the demerit but I do think Oceanic 815 uh, probably does not interrogate this correctly and gets this one wrong and ends up like giving so much money for uh, reasons that are not really like their fault necessarily it's not their fault that Desmond forgot to push the button. Yeah, Desmond should be paying them out. Uh, no, probably like Charles Widmore should. But either way, like Oceanic Eight One Five, like maybe you guys should have like investigated this one a little more thoroughly. The lie is so thin, and also the media. I'm just telling you who I'm giving LVP points to already. Wow, we are uh, really just jumping all over to start this off. We Oceanic Eight One Five in the media get this very badly. They get this wrong. Like, uh, like Jack is just able to like dunk on everybody. Like. There's so many things that should have been uh, that should have uh, fallen apart under scrutiny uh, with so much involved. It's just a testament to the the machine, man. Uh, the listen, co- Josh, they are in shock. Evidently, it's the man. Not, not, not in enough shock to uh, not have a th- island themed birthday party thrown. And for, <laughs> for spoiling things, Carmen Reyes is getting an LVP point from me because woof, read the room, lady. I kind of um, like that we're just doing like preemptive MVP LVPs right now. Listen, we're like, all right, let's just backload all the lost stuff now that we talked about 24 for a good five minutes to it start our lost podcast. It kind of makes sense because There's No Place Like Home has this very, uh, really cool structure to it where like it sort of begins where it ends in, in many ways. Uh, we won't talk about in, in, we won't talk about that in full today because we're just doing part one. Uh, which may be one of the reasons why, like, we're a little loosier, goosier uh, today, because uh, like this one should be the breezy one theoretically, and then we got to strap in for uh, a two-hour extravaganza. We are breaking this apart over the course of two weeks, much like the, the Kahana will. Yes, uh, for the sake of our sanity. Yeah, most much like Oceanic did. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we're we're trying to echo whatever the real or fake story is about said plane but i gotta say josh you know i think the the episode the trilogy episode finale spectacular that this obviously is most reminiscent to is exodus and if we're comparing part ones exodus part one easily gets it i mean in my opinion if i have to disseminate like a single hour of loss to be my favorite it is probably exodus part one and if you don't remember why go back to our five hour podcast on said episode but I got to say, I was coming in thinking there's no place like home part one was going to be more of that like place setting episode. 
But there's a lot of really cool stuff that happens here that I, I sort of forget when you watch all three in a row sort of gets lost, uh, much like Lord of the Rings, right, as to like which part falls into which piece of the trilogy. Right. And so as we sort of leave the Shire here uh, and, you know, touch down back on the mainland, there's a lot of really revelatory stuff that happens that I, I think is is a- enough to probably have satiated the masses for this nonsensical two-week break that they had to take between this episode and parts two and three. Yeah, so I think like we're also trying to emulate the experience here a little bit by just like giving you a tiny bit of the finale, and then you have to wait a week until you get the full two hour uh, like finale that you really know and love. Like we'll just give you like the the front portion of it. This is like the cockpit, and then you have to wait until next week for the fuselage and the tail section. I was gonna say the tailie. Did they show up like a season later? Being yeah. like, oh yeah, we were here the entire time. <laughs> we're no, the we're time. the podcast on There's No Place Like Home. Yeah, we're the podcast of No Place Like Home. Uh, it's a great episode. I do think that, like, if you if you view it in in the two silos, right? If you view it as part one, which aired two weeks before parts two and three, and you consider them kind of two episodes, then I think this one probably is not a perfect episode. I think this one mm-hmm. probably has some has a. I mean, it has a lot of excellent stuff, um, but it is sort of just like uh, it's a lot of setup. You know, yeah. it's like an. It really is an act one. Um, I do think that like there is like a real like you can feel Act One, Act Two, Act Three in this, um, yes. like because that second half of of uh, the of the two part version of the finale, the final third, um, like a lot of stuff gets resolved relatively early in that one, and then it just like feels like uh, you know falling action the rest of the way through. Yeah, or swimming um, action because I mean to your <laughs> right. point, we end with how the Oceanic Six end up getting where they where they got to in the beginning of this very episode and so it does seem like we resolve a lot of on island stuff like i'm trying to remember the island gets moved and i feel like we have like at least 20 minutes left yeah of part three so it's really interestingly constructed and like you said this is a lot of setup at least to like we're not even having the the major groups come together yet uh the that's the very end of the episode right when ben is finally going to come face to face with Kimi after their their brief glance a few episodes ago. But until then, it really is a lot of getting our characters set up. But I, I really like this episode on its own, too, in that the ending sets up a really fun question that really has been extending this entire season of, okay, we know this is the finale. We know this is how the Oceanic Six are going to get off the island, but how? And the way they end this episode puts that question even further in the forefront of your mind. Of like, these six people are literally in all corners of the island at this point. How in God's name are these six people together at the very end and nobody else is? It's a, it's a stressful episode. Uh, it's like, it's, it's like stressful for a lot of reasons. I think it's stressful for anybody, but it's like probably really stressful for like logistics minded people. Mm-hmm. It's like, how are you going to do this? There's no time for all of you to be away from each other. Yeah, I mean, it's very 24 in that regard. Yeah. Imagine when you get to like hour 22 or 23, you're saying, how is this all going to wrap up? I know it has to. There's there's a a count in the episode in this the series name that, you know, implies how many episodes there needs to be. Yeah, so exactly. So there's Chloe, we are running out of time. Is this a new character? Yeah. Damn it, Chloe. Yeah, that's (laughs) Count Bowerla. (laughs) <laughs> I think the best names are the ones where you have to slur the pun. Yeah, Count Barla. Count Barla. Yeah, he's another Jack. 
yeah, I think so. I think like, and even like the ending of this episode does have almost like the split screen quality, mm-hmm. uh, or like oh. that, that, that well, final montage. Yeah. yeah instead, instead of the countdown, it's just the, the hatch timer or the, the device on, uh, Kimi's arm. Yeah. Or uh, Jack's, uh, annoying sat phone that kept beeping for the longest yeah. time until they found Frank. Any one of these things could be the thing. Um, well, all right, let's let's talk about this first episode. We'll we'll run through it. Uh, we'll we'll solidify our MVP and LVPs, although we've already uh, tipped a bunch of them <laughs> off. Uh, and then we're not doing the the rankings. I think uh, it shouldn't spoil much to say that uh, Mike and I are probably going to give the finale writ large a four point two. Yeah, you don't um, have to so fast maybe, forward to the end of part three to realize what we're giving it. But then maybe it uh, it could be interesting to just like at the end like theoretically what would we give this one just on its own um so i don't know we'll see we'll see when we get there but let's go forth into the jungle mike let's talk about there's no place like home part one directed by stephen williams directed by the power duo of lindelof and cuse originally aired may 15th 2008 and it centers on the oceanic six it tells the story it wraps this up this is the end of the flash forwards um between this episode and next week we're going to catch up you know, uh, we're going to be we're going to be done with this with this conceit. And like we mentioned earlier, like the structure of the episode is so fascinating to me because we do end with them on their way back to L.A. in the plane. Um, and we will end with them, uh, you know, being found uh, in all of the circumstances that they're going to describe at mm-hmm. the press conference. So it's just it's a really neat trick. Uh, the way that they, uh, the way that they sort of like narratively feed uh, the engine in in both of these yeah. episodes. It's a really weird Ouroboros where the present timeline is going to extend into where we start the flash forwards, and the flash forwards are going to continue right where we end on that mind bending twist of John Locke in the coffin. So it's not like the flash forwards they're going to end in these three parts, but they're going to go up until that bitter end that, right. you know, I don't think we've ever really gotten a conceit within lost. And I can imagine obviously not because of the, the whole flash forward stuff where like the chronology of Lost would almost catch up with itself, like a time remnant, almost like if Lost was a speedster and we get it here where the present timeline finally becomes the future. But then in the future, you know, then we take the time to to explore that stuff in season five. So there's still like a gate, uh, a goalpost to get to. We haven't just all right, we're in off the mainland or off the island. Let's, uh, you know, pack up our narrative devices and go home. There's still stuff that we need to explore, namely John Locke in a coffin. Yeah. Uh, so the episode begins in the air. Uh, and so much is going to happen in the air over the course of this episode. Uh, but it begins in the air. They're on their way back, Mike. Uh, and uh, I'm just going to have to call her Lynn Kresge now. Karen Decker uh, is in the cockpit. Can you call her, can you call her like Oceanic Kresge? Uh, we are the Oceanic Kresge. Uh, they are, uh, they're in the cockpit. One of the pilots is like really tweaking out. Uh, the other one's like, stop like looking at that thing for luck. He's like, don't yeah. you know what our cargo is? Yeah, the guy's holding a rabbit's foot. I wonder, maybe is this where Ben's rabbit went to that he was afraid Locke ate? That rabbit didn't have a number on it, did it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, the one foot went to him. The other foot went to David Reyes, as we'll talk about later on. That's right. Oh, my God. Poor rabbit. Uh, and so they're going to land soon. And Oceanic Kresge 
uh, is like, all right, well, let me go and read everybody in on the scenario. And she's going to walk back. And this is how we are going to find out who is on this plane. What's the cargo? No, who is the cargo? It's the Oceanic Six. Who is the cargo? (laughs) Horace, who is the cargo? Uh, Let's listen in sound number one. We're coming in for a landing. It's a military facility just west of Honolulu. It's completely private. Your your families are already here. Now, there's a lot of press that want to speak to you, but as far as Oceanic is concerned, you don't have to speak to any reporters. Talk to him. Is that all right with all of you? It's fine. We all agreed. We just we just want to get it over with. Okay. Um, they're referring to you as the Oceanic Six. That's not the best branding as far as we're concerned, but it's catchy. We'll see you on the ground. We all know the story. If we get any questions that we don't want to answer or that we can't answer, let's just keep our mouths shut. It's okay, they'll, they'll think that we're in shock. We are in shock, Jack. Well, then this should be easy. So this is a really fun media res in that, you know, we're going to find out exactly what happened to Sun's point that put them in shock. Because, again, we we knew that these were going shocked. to be... They're shot. shocked. No, they're, they're not shot, though they will be shot at a lot shocked. over the course of these next two episodes. But the, the fact is that, you know, they are going to go through a lot in these three episodes in the main timeline to get to where they are, including... You know, they assume that Jin is dead. Uh, I'm assuming they certainly think that Sawyer has either died or he just make, made that valiant sacrifice. They lost Desmond or, right. you know, Desmond uh, uh, went off on his own path. So they have been through so much to get them to this point where they really accept Jack, who, again, in true Jack fashion, has to step up into crisis management mode. They're all just starkly silent. Even someone like Kate, who is not afraid of being vocal, looks honestly sick in my opinion like she just looks almost pale uh probably now realizing what sawyer talked about in Eggtown about you know what's interesting that she has a phase they're all like uh wide awake except for jack jack uh is like kind of like sleeping when uh oceanic kresge comes mm. back um and like everybody else is awake and then he wakes up but he's also like speaking for the group in a way that isn't letting them get a word in edgewise He's just saying, like, we all agreed, it's fine, we'll do it. Yeah. And then when he's talking to them, he's just already trying to, like, own their narrative, even in... I put private in quotes because Oceanic Kresge is just, like, a little ways away. And she, she's like, she's like, wait, st- what was that? She's stumbling her way back to the cockpit in the, in those heels that she has to wear. But it's a great he's point. He's like, I mean, they'll, be- they'll, they'll believe anything we say. She's like, excuse me, what? What is that? Uh, uh, Are you yes. guys lying? Uh, he's like, d- no. 
Oh, okay. My mistake. I, you must be waterlogged at this point. I thought you were lying for some reason. All right. I'll see you soon. Ta-ta. Kiss, kiss. Uh, I, I, it's a really, uh, you know, really interesting cinematography in this scene to the point where I, I feel like none of these characters can even look at Jack in the eye. You know, I feel like when Jack usually gives these motivational speeches, he's met with these confident eyes of, okay, Jack, I believe you. We're with you until the end. And here, you know, Sun is going to look at him in the eyes and say, we are in shock, Jack. But I feel like even when people like Saeed and Hurley look at Jack, it's not necessarily with the rah-rah, siskumbago, oceanic yeah. six attitude that he's used to. And that's very much foreshadowing what we've already experienced over season four and what we're going to continue to experience in season five, which is the lie and the narrative they have to uphold due to what they experienced on the island immediately is really going to splinter this group. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and then um, it leads us into the homecoming, which is yeah. just like an exceptionally beautiful scene. Like, well, we'll, just- we'll, we'll hear the music at the very end because it comes back in the very end. But I mm-hmm. mean, this is a seminal piece of lost music that is introduced in this episode. Jim Fells highlights the fact that this is a huge piece of score that is going to score, that is going to appear in the last three seasons, probably most prominently in the final episode of the series when it appears nine times. It's basically the Hey, I'm Waking Up song. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, It really is. It's just like, it's absolutely fantastic. And that's why I can't wait to talk about it in the ending because I love how they almost like bastardize it at the very end by bringing in the military drums to show the doom. But it's the loved ones visit here. Come on is. out, Carmen and Dave Reyes. Coming out, Mr. and Mrs. Paik. And Sun does not look happy to Just, see them. Everybody's sort of like individual uh, moments are great. Uh, it's nice to see Jack and his mom again. That's sort of a beautiful moment. Um, Sun hugging her mom, but like, it not being joyful and Paik not really knowing what to do. He, he like basically pats her on the back. Uh, yeah. And that's, and like, yeah. Let's remember the, the the last time that Jack saw Margot Shepard was her basically telling him like, come get your dad yeah. from Australia. Australia. Yeah. yeah. So it's, so it's an interesting relationship. Hurley is the best guy ever and like introduces Saeed to it. his parents, yeah. which yeah. is so and great. Carmen and just like pulls him in. Right. And then yeah. Kate, like really she's got no one really isolating shot of her despite the fact that she is the one with Aaron in tow she's looking around and there's nowhere no one for her i also wonder if there's a little bit of panic in her that like she might get arrested immediately upon landing on the tarmac that's not going to happen for a little bit but yeah like you said you could just look at that scene and it's entirely wordless like some of the best scenes in lost are but you could discern what each and every character sort of left the island for and what they're going to experience. Yeah, uh, it's a really, really beautiful moment um, because you know that things are not going to be great for so many of them. Um, Things are going to be really, really difficult for so many of these characters as they're basically all of these characters as as their lives move move forward from this moment. So it's nice to have like one moment of like quasi-victory to some degree. Watching them come home you know, it's yeah. not it's not a nothing deal. Uh, it's you know, is it is it was it the right choice? Did they uh, did they have to sacrifice more than they should have to get here? Yeah, probably. But they're here, and it's it's like the surreality of it uh, plays really really elegantly. I think I think that they 
do a great job with the homecoming mm-hmm. for the Oceanic Six. And Mike, it's con- it's contrasted so well with the stark reminder of the danger on the island when we cut back. Um, you know, we're with Kate in that final moment of the montage of her like looking around in this happy moment of everybody has their loved ones. Uh, except for Saeed, uh, but almost everybody no, no, has. Not the, yet. Give it like three hours, and she'll be like, there. Most most people have their loved ones. I don't. And what's more is, I could be arrested at any minute. And when we cut back to the island, we're with Kate, and she's sort of just on the outskirts of everything. And she's like, she senses a disturbance in the force. Right. The last thing we saw was the was the walkie talkie getting dropped, and now there's a big debate over like why did that happen. It's very evocative to me of the ending of Exodus Part 1, where you have something super happy and hopeful in the raft launch, a complete with beautiful Giacchino score, and then cut to the black plume of smoke, right, as a reminder of, oh no, there's still danger lurking, we are certainly not in Happy Town yet. And here, though we're futzing with a bit chronologically, the same thing happens here, where, like you said, it is a genuinely moving scene, because it's something that Again, we never thought that we would see. And Jack has succeeded in his goal at this point. It is a much smaller number than the people he promised, but he did get himself and five other people off the island. But now we cut to the stark reminder of, oh, we have so much further to go before we actually get there. And the danger is immediate because now we're picking back up with, okay, why did the sad phone gets dropped? Rose assumes, oh, it must have been Saeed and Desmond. They're, right. they're starting to realize, okay, why would the sat phone be dropped? And in listening... Was it a the- mistake? Yeah, and then they listen in, and it's like Frank with a bunch of, like, jarheads who are like, all yeah. right, let's kill everyone on the island. They're like, whoa! Basically, and so they, I think they overhear Kimi mentioning the orchid, and so they launch into some orchid talk here. Surprisingly, Juliet doesn't know what the orchid is. I feel like it's always tempestuous, uh, not the station, like what others do and do not know with Ben. We talked about this a bit, a bit in me, oh, Kevin yeah. Johnson, right? With, yeah. with Tom friendly. Are you a bit surprised that Ben didn't let Juliet in on the secret of the orchid? Uh, I guess like, I don't know. I do think that like, when you really stop and think about what do the others know and what do they not know, it can be a little bit of a, of a, of a headache, a, a you know, uh, your headache could be so profound that it would feel like a mini monster bouncing around inside your skull. Uh, hey, what do you know? What do you not know? What do you know? You don't know about the you don't know about the orchid? Are you kidding me? Okay, ben so didn't tell you about check that off one? the stations. Here's a map. Here's a blast door yeah. map. Check off all the stations you know. Yeah, and so she doesn't know, and like I guess it makes sense to a certain point that like she's not read in on absolutely everything. She's the object of Ben's obsession. Um, but like she's not necessarily like massively high command. You know, she's certainly, like, low-level enough that they nearly, like, what, executed her for killing Pickett, right? I I wonder if this is less of a, like, Juliet branch of others thing and more of a Richard Alpert branch of others thing, right? Is this more of a mystical thing? Because there was this whole, you know, we're going to get into the wells next season and the the idea of containing all this mystical energy. Obviously, we're going to have the swan. But was this more of, like, a hidden-away project because the power source and the idea of moving the island is probably more involved with the Jacob side of things than the day-to-day Dharmaville side of things. Either way, uh, they're going to hear the Frank, uh, the Frank conversation. Uh, and then Jack and Kate shall have a Frank conversation about going off into the jungle in pursuit 
of the signal. And then Juliet is going to have a frank conversation Ugh. with Jack where she stomps off after him being like, are you seriously going into the jungle? You just had your appendix removed, sir. And he's like, yeah, I am. I'm going to go. I have to. Like, I got to see her. I promised everyone I'd get us off. I have to do it. And she has what are her final words to Jack until he goes back in time and sees her in the 70s. Mm. Uh, don't bleed to death, Jack. And he says, no, that'll be in the series finale. Yeah, that's coming up. That's coming up. Uh, it's It's probably, I think, the most angry we've seen Juliet so far. I think even when she's not as even keeled as she usually is, she does not show nearly as much of a temper as she does here. She is, I think furious is an understatement. She is stomping down. She goes, are you kidding me? Basically, yeah. is, is her entire inner monologue over the course of this. Uh, and she's like, I mean, just from a physical perspective, Jack, not only are you recovering, but your sutures are going to rip and your your organs are going to fall out of your body. And Jack true to jack fashion was like eh, it doesn't matter i'll put myself back together eventually i got i had a promise yeah uh i love that I, I don't bleed to death jack uh and so that's it they're not gonna talk until a long time from now it's gonna be right. a while yeah, but um, do you think jack would be like hey didn't bleed to death by the way it by the okay. way didn't bleed to death um so that's what's going on there and then faraday's freaking out uh, he overheard them talking about the Orkin. He runs to his little Desmond book uh, and Charlotte charges after him and is like, hey, what's going on, Dan? Everything OK? And he goes, actually, I'm pretty sure we need to get off the island right away. Yeah, we need to get right off the island right now. Uh, he's freaked out. He's really worried because uh, he knows what the Orkin station means because uh, we're going to see that next season. Like he knows all of this stuff. He's got the whole he's got the playbook. He's got the whole world in his notebook. I feel like when it comes to the freighters, there are specific episodes where they become like entrenched with 815. With Miles, I felt like it was a bit of the end of the shape of things to come, right? And something nice back home when he's hanging out with Sawyer and Claire. I feel like that's this moment for Faraday. This is a very good heroic episode for Daniel Faraday, where he basically says, okay, I know what secondary protocol is. It's not good for these people. I know that I kept saying that I wouldn't get them off the island, but maybe I should get them off the island. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good guy here. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Charlotte's just standing gog-eyed at him the entire time, but Daniel yeah. leaps into action. Uh, then again, is he just, you know, volunteering for the Zodiac mission? So his odds of like not being here when the island uh, blinks out of time and space i mean then he's a smart thinker too yeah <laughs> like charlotte yeah. charlotte was the one she'd be like oh no i'm going i'm the one that's gonna be ferrying yeah yeah he's like we got to get out of here now and this is when we smash to lost so it's a pretty sprawling opening it's setting up the stakes really clearly that uh this will be the one where we find out how people get off they are going to get off the island it is going to happen but how in the hell are they going to do it because all of the odds seem against them and also for the people who don't get off the island what the heck is about to happen to them and it feels very imminent so the urgency is baked in right away in this first uh this first act it's it's very impressively done um so then when, we, we, then when we come out of the act, that yes. shows firsthand the fact that we are still going to have characters, Oceanic 6 and non-Oceanic 6 characters mingle, which obviously gets people's brains running of, 
okay, if they're not on the chopper, then what happened to them? Uh, so we're going to get it here. Jack and Kate are, are you know, off going off in the jungle. So do you think, did they give any sort of cover story to Juliet, uh, anyone besides Juliet, or did they just take off into the jungle and all the gawkers are like, who uh, is we need some asking help? Jack and Kate for permission of, on anything or like asking them for explanations? Nobody. I guess at this point they figure, well, no they're one. going off for a good reason. Yeah, there's no one who's going to be like, what are you guys doing? Jack will look at them and be like, Oh, now you want to know? You've just been standing there staring at me for four seasons, and now you want to know where I'm going? There used to be a guy who did that. His name was Leslie Arst. Look what happened to him. Look what happened to him. Now stay put. Uh, although they are all going to go the way of Leslie Arst pretty soon, uh, if not worse, if not worse, with the fire arrows. So Jack is not staying still anytime soon, uh, to the point where his wound is, what, separating is I believe yeah, the, the term it's that he discharge. Used. It's my body fighting the infection around the stitches. And I uh, mean, that's isn't that a sort of a medical microcosm for what there's no place like home is, yeah. where the pe- the body of the island is fighting the infection of the mercs. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then from that perspective, is the orchid the stitches? Uh, and are uh, the oceanic six the appendix? Yeah, maybe. And so they get removed just like Jax did. Oh, see? Uh, so why is everyone so mad about the appendix? <laughs> it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. The box is a metaphor. The appendix <laughs> is a metaphor. Uh, it's not literal. It's No, it's literally an appendix. Uh, yeah, so, but I just thought it was a really fun yeah, little uh, reference to, you know, basically what we're going to experience, which is Ben is trying to helm the body here to fight off the camo-clad infection that has taken over Very the good. I like it. All right, so uh, Jack and Kate are talking about his infections, uh, and he's like, it's, n- it's totally normal. And she's like, you know how people can't look you in the eye when they're lying? You do the exact opposite. And Jack's like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I guess that makes him a good card player. I mean, that's how he's able to BS Sawyer back in the day. I suppose that's right. Uh, so they're both sharing a laugh, and then who should come along uh, but your favorite Flash Sideways buddy cop duo, Miles and Sawyer. Let's listen in on their reunion with Jack and Kate. Sound number two. Hey, long time no see. Who are you talking to up there, Genghis? in the middle of the night. We looked for her for a day, but she was just gone. I was hoping maybe she went back to the beach. She didn't. What are y'all doing out here? What's that phone for? Chopper flew over the beach. Someone tossed this out. It must have been Saeed. You better hope it ain't Saeed. Because if he's with those animals that just blew up half a new other, then you do not want to tussle with them. They tried to kill you? Just like Locke said they would. 
so well, we're supposed to just turn around and hide because it seems like that didn't work so well for you. I'm sorry, Doc. Maybe this is deja vu, but didn't you just do the whole run through the jungle with a walkie plane? That helicopter is our only way off this island. What's with you and getting off the island? You're like a damn broken record. Ain't you fighting each other now? Look, I put Saeed and Desmond on that chopper. It was my call. My responsibility. I'm going after whether they're on it or not. I'll head back to the beach. Jack. No, no, no. You can't go by yourself. Take care of the baby, okay? That son of a bitch is stubborn. Hold up. You don't get to die alone. We get to live together. <laughs> oh no, that's going to be Sawyer and Juliet. Yeah, it's, Josh. In my opinion, there are three acting MVPs. I would say in the trilogy of "There's No Place Like Home." Obviously, it's, Josh Holloway. Yeah, it's Josh Holloway. It's Michael Emerson. And it's Yoon Jin Kim. I think those three in particular. Maybe it's just because they have really meaty stuff to do. But Josh Holloway really brings it from the tip top of this episode because you can just see it and you can probably even hear it in his voice as well the fatigue and defeat on Sawyer like you can see how much he is wounded by the loss of Claire you can sort of feel like again the man who has had leadership foisted on him certainly since Hurley put it upon him back in season three but has really felt that weight in season four this is the first time he's really lost somebody he just sounds so i don't know small when he says we lost her and even though there's a miscommunication there as to what he what he means when he said we lost her it just feels like when sawyer walked out of that jungle alongside miles miles has much more of a pep in his step than sawyer maybe sawyer's tired as well with everything that happened but he just right. so worn down yeah and so you know I'm giving him an MVP point this week. Uh, and, you know, he's certainly going to get at least one next week when he jumps off the chopper. Um, and the reason isn't just the fact that, like, Holloway does an incredible job. Like, he just he just plays the hell out of Sawyer in um, all of this uh, sprawling finale. Um, but, like, Sawyer himself is so down for the cause here like Mm -hmm. he he has like he's on the other side of uh like he got his vengeance against anthony cooper he took a while to like figure out what does that mean for himself uh like he was very despondent and i think like for a while he was sort of just like checked out uh you know playing a house trying to like sort of like pretend like none of it had happened like there were no real stakes just figure things out as you go and then house got blown up and suddenly the stakes got very real again. Um, and I think without like that sort of like lifelong quest that he had been on, that he satisfied, that was very unfulfilling in like a really deeply un- unsettling and upsetting way. He ends up realizing that there is something much more pressing to be done. There is uh, there is an urgency to life that must be addressed and that he must rise to the moment of like he is he is um, he's not looking so far down the road anymore. He's not living his life to get to that one moment 
and just like, you know, stop gapping his feelings all the way there. He's like living life right now to save the people around him as best as he can to fight for the things he does have. He's going to say it to Faraday in the season five premiere. Everything I ever cared about just blew up on that boat. Right. Like that's he's come. He's coming to a place where he's when he watched what happened to the barracks and he now knows that there are people on this island who are going to ruthlessly murder everybody in sight if they get their way. It's not just his own life he's afraid for anymore. He's afraid for Hugo. He's afraid for Saeed. You know, he's afraid for all of these people. He's devastated that it seems like he lost Claire. Um, when he finds out that she did not go back to the beach, he's so broken up about that. Um, that he then, uh, while like sort of like tasseling with, with Jack, he, after having made this cross island trek that took what, like three days on foot with a baby with no yeah. food for the child, that he then immediately turns heel and walks right back in the direction from which he came. Um, it's amazing. This is the moment. We're here. Uh, Jack is the asshole disguised as a hero, and Sawyer's the hero disguised as an asshole, and the masks are coming off. Exactly. Now, and now they're walking off together to trade masks. I mean, you, you put everything so well. I mean, to sum it up, I think Sawyer has finally stopped looking at the past, stopped looking at the future, and has just focused on the present. And I think in embracing that present, it has allowed him to, ironically enough, be tossed back in the past right. so much but for him to also focus on the people he has in his life uh he's going to lose arguably the most important person in his on island life very soon but it, it really you get to feel sort of the pangs of the other relationships that he's formed right he's going to long for claire he's going to have a big moment when he finds out that hurley might die here as well it really is like a fantastic culmination here of a like the slow breadcrumbs of what we've seen of Sawyer, specifically in the back half of season four and him reacting to everything. And as he puts it, new other chin, which is another fun sign that Sawyer is one of the characters that the writers like to write for most concerning that. I do believe that's the shorthand for what the producers used when they nicknamed yeah, and, Darmaville and, the barracks. Yeah, I think like Damon and Carlton in the podcast would say it a lot. Certainly was said a lot in the fandom. Yes. And then we know that Damon and Carlton probably like to write for Sawyer the best uh so, carlton has said that that he's his favorite character yeah. and so and so sawyer also has like a really great way of reading jack as well it makes sense considering that he said back in the day this was the closest thing he'd had to a friend on this island that despite jack being jack and saying like i don't care if kate goes with me i don't care i'm the one that needs to do this because i was the one that put them there sawyer says okay i can't stop jack but i can certainly stop him from basically killing himself so let me do that now Right. Yeah. I think that Sawyer is so geared up to live in the present that when he dips into the past, he lives in the present. Um, and also, he, let, he's let, there. You talked about the, the final fun quote, you don't get to die alone. But let's remember that last season, Sawyer's first flashback episode was titled Every Man for Himself, which right. comes from that Jack speech where basically he's referring to Sawyer. Every man for right. himself is not going to do it out here. Sawyer has firmly transitioned from every man for himself to live together dialogue. Yeah, he's in live together dialogue territory. It's it's really, really great. So Kate's going to go back with Miles and Aaron. Meanwhile, uh, Jack and Sawyer are going to stomp off into the jungle. They will go forth into the jungle. Uh, and we shall go forth back into the future 
for the press conference, which we heard a bit of uh, at the start of this episode. Uh, Oceanic Kresge giving the spiel mm-hmm. about um, how how they were found. They crashed on the small island. They we, found- we should be noted that Mimbata is not an island name, but Mimbata Bata is a word from Indonesian that means basically like to be ambivalent or to mm-hmm. be in doubt. So yeah. again, it's, it's that one of those fun... You know, uh, what's the name of the the Hofstrahler parlor, right? Of, hey, look at this thing. You should be doubting it if you just knew a little bit of Indonesian. Yeah. Uh, so they're going to they're going to go off uh, into the into the press conference. Uh, we're going to get the, the spiel. We're going to get like the official story. Uh, and so we're like, OK, so they're all about to they're all about to call them on their shit. Right. They're all about to be like, so that's a lie. Right. And no, instead, they basically uh, they hold the line pretty well as the press fails to do their job adequately. How about we listen to their abject failure here? Sound number three. Uh, Can you tell us what it was like when the plane hit the ocean? Uh, How you survived? Um, it, it, It happened really fast. I remember the impact. I remember the the plane filling up with water. A group of us got to the emergency door and um, got out before it went down. And those of you who survived, you swam to the island. No, we had uh, cushions. We had some life jackets. We were in the water for over a day before the current took us in. By then, there was only eight of us left. Considering the ordeal that you've all been through, you look pretty healthy having been on an island for more than 100 days. Is that directed at me, dude? (laughs) Well, actually, Mr. Reyes, you were worth more than $150 million at the time of your death. How does it feel to know you're going to get all that money back? I don't want it back. back. Any Any of it. it. That That money was was bad bad luck. luck. She asked if my husband was one of the people who died on the island. The answer is no. He never made it off the plane. Miss Austin. What was it like giving birth on the island? Scary. Your son, uh, Aaron, how old is he now? He's just a little over five weeks. So that would have made you about six months pregnant when the U.S. Marshal Service apprehended you in Australia for an outstanding murder warrant. Is that correct? Uh, I'm afraid Ms. Austin's legal issue is off the table. Next question. Mr. Gerald, given the amazing circumstances surrounding the survival of U-6, is it possible there are any other survivors from the crash yet to be discovered? No, absolutely not. So, while before we get into why all these press people should have They're their so passes They're so awful. Revoked, They're terrible. But the sensationalism. I, so, I there's an extended version of this scene. I don't remember if this aired at the time. I believe it's on the DVD, though, where... Jack actually goes on to mention the other three survivors 
who made it off the plane. Boone and Charlie and Libby, is that right? Those are the three, yeah. And yeah. he actually gives the the exact reasons why they died. I mean, he doesn't really say Libby got shot by someone else, but he says that Boone died of internal injuries soon after arriving on the island. Uh, quote, a woman named Libby died in the first week, and then Charlie drowned a few weeks before they got off the island. So I guess it's a little bit of like, well, I don't want to come up with a complete fabrication. So listen, I didn't lie about who died. Technically, they all died. It just, you know, at different timelines on a completely different island with other people involved. Yeah. Ah, oh, man. The lie is so convolutes. Uh... <laughs> I mean, and this was all... I'm, just, I'm trying to remember this. They all came up with this on Penny's boat, right? Before she drops Yeah, they them have off. a week. They have a week. They've got a full week to do this. Uh... And so they come up with, like, such an elaborate ruse. Um, and I've got a lot of questions about uh, a lot of it. Um, among them, um, I guess, for for Sun, nobody knows that she speaks English. That's true, In- interestingly. And unless- she chooses to. I was going to say Jay Lee could come out and talk about it, but he did. Yeah. And she chooses to where... Uh, like she didn't she didn't have to and like i guess like the reason she has to in that moment is i mean no she could have just said it and then like it could have been translated back to everybody but like why would she expose the the lie there why would you what you know like she then has to like tell like everybody like why she learned english she's gonna have to explain it to to paik uh that feels like a lot to have to go through yeah, and th- these reporters also feel like they're not doing a proper job in really chasing the line. You know, I think for the sake of this scene, they want to basically yeah, ask a question to each of the, the Oceanic Six. So they're like, oh. The Hurley stuff. Yes, exactly. Like, It oh, seems like they're going to be like, okay, well, uh, so you were there for however long. Doesn't quite look like it. Are we sure that this is actually the story? And then uh, Hurley's like, you make fun of me? And she's like, actually, how does it feel to be liberated yeah. from... Whoa, what a great joke segue. No, stay on that line of, well, you actually, yeah, you don't... It looks like there was almost like an underground hatch that you went into that you were able to get access to pretty good, you know, yeah. toiletries and food supplies. You know what? Typically in these scenarios, like, you get one question in a press conference like this, uh, and so, like, you... it's it's precious metal right like this is a precious gem you really want to think about what it is you're going to ask like in a round table situation or a press conference or whatever or even you know like you gotta like really you want to make because you may not get another question and yet only three reporters in this room ask questions so i guess like there must have been some agreement where everyone's like all right well you just get to ask whatever dumbass questions you want because none of us get to ask anything we're just sitting here but then you get someone who actually asks a legitimate question in, oh, okay, so you were six, you know, really the gotcha question. We're like, oh, yes, okay, you were six months pregnant by the time you had a, a murder warrant out for you. And then Oceanic Kripke says, oh, no, that's that's not, you know, we're not asked, uh, you can't ask questions about that. Yes, you can. You absolutely yeah. can. You, she can't be like, oh, this is over. You're not allowed to. That's off the record. No, and this is like very public criminal information you were absolutely allowed to kicking just provide a very boilerplate statement if she wants to but there's I no mean, she might barring. be angry because like maybe they signed some embargoes or you know whatever like they signed whatever paperwork and they agreed to whatever terms to be at the press conference but like he's asking the question now uh yeah. you know it's gonna she's gonna answer it or she's not um the whole thing is just like a a, a real disaster um, yeah, but as you said, this is 
While the confidence was not shown on the plane, this is everyone regretfully going along with Jack's plan, right? Like, Sun takes a, a pregnant pause, if you will, because she is pregnant, before saying, no, Jin died before we even made it out of the plane, which you could even just feel, like, the simultaneous heartbreak yet remorselessness as she says that. She kind of sneaks a look to Jack as well. Saeed is just very slowly without blinking because, again, he's used to going back into uh, torturer Saeed mode, basically emotionless, says, nope, there's no chance that there were any other survivors. And you can just see how not only the shock that they've been through, but I think the weight of the lie is already starting to bear some strain on these people. Yeah. Um, here's the good news. Nadia is here. Yay! It's so it's so lovely and also so sad because like you know it's not gonna last. I know, and that's the tough thing as well, right? It's it's so bittersweet where you get to see these two embrace and uh, and Andrea and uh, and uh, Nadine do such a great job with it. Like it is practically wordless. All he says is her name, and they like because they it makes sense. They, they wouldn't know what to, yeah they wouldn't know what to say when they saw each other. Saeed had been chasing after her. For so, so long, she probably thought she would never see him again, especially when she found out that his plane crashed. And so the fiction has become a reality. You don't need dialogue there. They just passionately embrace each other. And it is beautiful until your heart catches up with your head and you realize, oh, yeah, she's going to get gunned down in the middle of California and cause Saeed to become an assassin. Yeah, it's just very sweet. It's a very beautiful moment, but it is filled with sorrow, right? It is just filled with with sorrow. Oh no! So you're saying Antonio Banderas swings in? Uh, it's filled with sorrow. Uh, it's very sad because you know it's 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 here for now, but it's not here forever. Um, here today, gone tomorrow. So Said, though, in reality, uh, back in the in the present, which is you know very shortly before all of this, frankly. Uh, is going to be catching that breeze, that ocean breeze. Mm-hmm, with those, a nice, like, slow jam Hollywood and Vines playing in the background. That's when you want to, like, orientation video and chill. It's great. Yeah, it's so adventurous. It's great. So they're on it. He's on it, and then he pulls up. He's like, hey. And Julia's like, well, where's Desmond? He's like, he's back on the boat. Everything's fine. Uh, and he's like, where's Jack? Where's Kate? Uh, well, they ran off after the helicopter. And Syed's like, no! Oh, <laughs> they thought it was no! you! Oh, oh, no, is what he says. I believe that's the exact quote where he goes, yeah, he oh, goes no! oh, no! Oh, no! And he puts uh, his hands on his face, Kevin McAllister, McAllister yeah, style. He goes like, yeah. oh, no! Meet Kevin McAllister. Uh, he's like, no! Oh, God! An entire meet Kevin Johnson just for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's the the act break of like, well, this isn't great. This isn't great. Um, so it's just like ratcheting up that tension a little bit more. Meanwhile, in the jungle, let's get our first look at Locke, Hurley, and Ben, who are just like walking in broad daylight. Um, and like Hurley is the audience, right? Of like, what do you mean, move the island? <laughs> yeah, wait, can we pick up where we ended last episode? What the hell are you talking about? What does it mean to move the island? Uh, and uh, why didn't we do it before the psychopaths showed up? 
And Ben's like, because it's not a small thing to do. To move the island is a very dangerous procedure. You got to tread lightly here. Yeah, it's unpredictable. It's a measure of last resort. And I think that bears a lot of weight, considering that also it's sacrificial right? as well. And that Ben knows if he does it, he basically has to leave the island, uh, almost exile himself. So I can imagine that he himself was really saving it as a matter of last resort until, because up to this point, remember, he thought they might have been bluffing. He thought he could reason with Kimi that he was all powerful. But once that all got shot to sunshine, as Ben would say, he regretfully realizes that the way he has to save the island is to leave it. Yeah, I think like he knows it at this point. Um, I think like that acceptance is sort of fueling him. You could see it in Michael Emerson's body language. He's just like kind of walking with purpose. Mm-hmm. He's not really hesitating with anything he's not that he has to do Hurley anymore. No, he's just marching towards like the 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 deposit box, which Locke wants to open, and you totally understand because like I'm not letting you open that in case there's another gun in there. Yeah, and it also is a lock box. It kind of just comes with the name. Uh, there's also the crackers in there. Which 15 are 15-year-old crackers? Yeah, uh, at least 15 years old. Um, uh, my theory is this is, uh, this is like uh, the lost equivalent of Lembus bread. Ooh, and so that really just fills Hurley up for the rest of his time on the island? Or it's like what gives you like your eternal Jacobian youth. Mm. Uh, and so like maybe this is the moment where he eats the crackers, and so now Hurley's going to have to be in charge. Like he gets the he gets like both like the the wine and the the bread, right? Mm. I don't know. I'm Jewish. I don't know if that's how it works. I think but it's ma- how it works. So then if we're making a Lord of the Rings analogy, is there a different world here where, you know, Ben uh, throws away most of the crackers and crumbles them around Locke's body. So then it makes Hurley believe that Locke had eaten all the crackers. Yeah. Um, and would would Hurley be upset about that? Yeah, I mean, I guess so, because he was, he was hungry. He wanted to eat them. By the way, 15-year-old Cracker was my nickname in high school. Huh, okay. <laughs> All right. It's just like your immediate response. <laughs> yep. Okay, that's common knowledge now. No, no it's, you know, it makes sense to me. Uh, so Not going happens- to look at that with binoculars, unlike John Locke. Yeah, Locke is looking with binoculars up on the hill as... Ben is uh, big yaw energy as he's uh, flashing his mirror uh, up to the hillside where the others are on the hill. And he's like, who are you communicating with? Who do you think, you idiot? Oh, really, I'm going to sacri- sacrifice myself for this guy. Well, we talked about this last time, right? That, like you said, Ben is sort of in lame duck mode. But I do think he'll talk about this later, that there are still things that he's going to withhold so even though Locke is the chosen person from now on, I think there's still some some personal freedoms that Ben is not willing to let go of yet. And one of them is like, I'll tell I don't you don't need to know who I'm talking with. They'll right. find out eventually. Right. Um, so back on uh, back at the beach, Said is just like learning a little bit more. Daniel Faraday is coming up to him. He's like, we got to get everybody out of here now. Uh, and Saeed's like, but I got to go into the jungle and take care of the mercenaries because I'm Saeed. Uh, and so, like, again, it's like another moment where, like, this is a big victory episode for Saeed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he he not only uh, he finds Nadia again after all of this time um, and, like, he takes the boat. He gets them the, the Zodiac and sure, ultimately, that leads to the demise of so many people. 
But he doesn't know that. So he gets yeah. everybody a boat. He brings them a boat, a working boat. And much like Sawyer, who like has just gone on this odyssey and then goes back to the jungle, Saeed himself has just gone on something of an odyssey. And he's just like, all right, well, I will go from the freighter to the beach into the heart of the jungle. No mm-hmm. problem. Just like no hesitation. Um, Saeed's incredible. Yeah, I mean, Saeed is someone who you want to go into battle with, quite literally, right? Because he is the type of person that says, what's the plan? Okay, I'm going to mobilize and head out. This has happened in literally every season finale so far. Whether it's him going off with Charlie to save Aaron. Whether it's him going off with the Quans to try to, you know, take Michael from another side. Whether it's him, Bernard, and Jin camping out to blow up the dynamite. Like, this is Saeed in season finale mode. And we are yeah. four for four at this point. And it certainly helps that Daniel Faraday also steps up and is like, you go do what you need to do. I know the bearing. I know it by heart because I gave everyone the bearing. I'm going to start getting people back to the boat. So uh, he's not going to go alone. Kate and Miles show up just as he is about to charge off. And Kate gives him uh, the update on what's going on. And she's like, I can track him. Uh, I'll be your tracker. And so they're going to go. And so she gives the baby to Sun. And she's like, sorry, Sun, I don't have time to explain. Just get to the freighter. I'll, I love how she says, I'll see you there! Yeah, is sort of the lion read. I also like she says, keep him safe. Because again, if we're going back to Lord of the Rings, uh-huh, it's very keep Gandalf. Him, keep, her, keep him secret. Keep him safe. Yeah, I'll keep him secret. You keep him safe. Uh, yeah, it's a fair deal. Yeah, so Sun is going to be... Uh, Sun and Jin are going to be among the first people to go on the boat because Juliet like, really advocates for it. Sun should go first. She's pregnant. Uh, and so, like, this is, uh, this is the end of Juliet and Son's time together. Yeah, they never, they never see each other ever again. Until the flash sideways sure. when Juliet investigating her belly, um, brings up the DOC memories. Yeah, I mean, we really are starting to put an ending on these things of the, this is when these characters will see each other for yeah. the last time. Uh, unfortunately, going with them are some gawkers that definitively blew up. Yeah, they're the all dead. All of them are so dead. They, they really got unlucky in actually going on the first boat. Yeah, all of them are not going to make it. Uh, that sucks. When they're on the boat, there's this moment where they're going uh, towards the freighter uh, and Sun looks down at Aaron and Aaron looks up at Sun and Aaron's just like kind of like staring at her like he's like Damien from The Omen. <laughs> and then Sun's head explodes. <laughs> yeah, it's like this very like telling look. It's like, oh God, he can't be raised by another. But then my head, instead, Josh, my heart explodes when Jin just tells Sun, you know, he looks down at her holding a child and he's already imagining his life off the I island know. with her and her baby and says, I told you I'd get you off the island. And it's like, oh, God, no. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess he does. But also, wow, it stinks. And that's not just the sound that Aaron is making. No. Carve 666 into Sun's oh, forehead no, mentally. Let's do, let's do a sound. Uh, let's leave the Zodiac. Let's go back to the future again. Um, and we will return to Paik Industries because Sun has some choice words for her father. I would say it. 제가 방해한 건 아니죠? 아니다. 항상 사업상 하는 일인데 뭘. 무슨 일이라도 있으세요? 내가 말해도 넌 이해하기 힘든 복잡한 회사 일이야. 그래. 몸은 좀 어떠냐? 
아버지가 진수 씨를 얼마나 싫어했는지 다 알고 있는데 새삼스럽게 아이에게 관심 있는 척하지 마세요 너 지금 뭐라고 했냐 제뜻 아시잖아요 진수 씨를 증오하셨잖아요 너 지금 누구한테 함부로 난네 아버지야 어리장머리라고는 하나도 없이 오시안의 항공사로부터 상당한 금액의 합의금을 받았어요 그 돈으로 오늘 아침에 아버지 회사 집은 반을 구입했고요 이제부터는 저를 동업자로 존중해 주셔야겠죠 뭐? 너? 뭐 때문에? 제 남편 인생도 망가뜨리고 그런 아버지 때문에 우리가 그 비행기를 탄 거라고요 그러니까 전 아버지하고 또 다른 사람이 진수 씨 죽음에 책임이 있다고 생각해요 우선 이 아이를 낳고 나서 이 회사의 미래는 그때 가서 얘기하죠 우리 회사에 대해서 I'm so sorry that it has to come from Heartbreak, but honestly, this is probably my favorite version of Sun in the entire series. I love Don't Give an F, Sun. Yeah, I mean, so like the translation is, hey, dad, you remember your company and how uh, someone just like swooped in and bought your company? It's me. I did it. I now own your company and you now have to answer to me and you suck and I'm awesome. And he's like, wait, what? What did you do? Why would you do this to me? Uh, and she's like, well, dad, that's because uh, two people are responsible for my husband's death and you're one of them. Uh, if it wasn't for if it wasn't for you, we would have never been on the plane. Uh, if it wasn't for the way you treated Jin and frankly me. Uh, we never would have had to go. And so you ruined our lives. And now I shall ruin yours. And I don't think we ever see him again. Are we done with Mr. Pig I'm right now? I'm pretty sure. I think that that's right. Wow. Uh, so Mr. Pig goes out getting absolutely owned by his daughter. I'm pretty sure. Sh- yeah. This is the last time you ever see him. Ever. Holy moly. Yeah. Just getting reamed out by son. Uh, and I know that, like, I, I do think it would have been cool if the show had found a way to tie um, Pake Industries into Whitmore, into the right. island. Could have been neat, you know, and then, like, you know, give Sun and Jin a better final storyline, maybe, than they get. Um, but it is remarkably satisfying for her to just read him for filth and to never see him ever again, to never even be, like, thought of again. Well, because then he doesn't get a rebuttal. Right. That's the really great part is that maybe while Charles Winmore sort of gets this like slow, humiliating form of death and getting completely owned by the man in black after he finally gets to the island here, Paik, who has controlled so much of Sun and Jin's lives to the point where it really has led to so much strife between the two of them now does not get a chance to like exercise control whatsoever. He is powerless. And it's, it's a really fun way to end the character from that arc. And I love how Sun, I know we keep using this phrase, but dispenses with the formalities, right? Where, you know, Mr. Pig's like, oh, how is my grandchild? And Sun just says, don't pretend to be interested in my baby. We both know you hated my husband. She is saying what she has had bottled up ever since she was that little girl 
who knocked over the glass ballerina and blamed it on the maid, right? This yeah. is a man that she has always feared, that she has always resented, that she has always been under the thumb of because of the societal constraints in Korea. But sort of having a new lease on life and also just completely shell-shocked based on everything that happened, namely losing Jin, she is now ready to break that wheel, she comes in and says Dracaris to Pink Industries <laughs> yeah. and burns it to the ground. And I, I absolutely love it because it really is a liberating moment for Sun as a character who has tried to spread her wings when they have been clipped throughout basically her life until she came to the island. It's, it's a really great moment to see at this moment, like we talked about with both Saeed and with Sun, up to this point, we know how it's going to end for them. But up to this point, both of them have used this opportunity off-island to, I think, capitalize on opportunities they did not have before getting on that plane. She's incredible. Uh, Sun is such a great character, but even more specifically, Yunjin Kim is just such a good actor. She just plays her so, so well. This is just such a satisfying moment that it's just like, this is the other side of the island, right? Like yeah. This is like the other side of all of the things that she faced all the things she learned about herself everything about who she is now who she's become um and the fact that she like uses the entirety of her settlement money to do this is again another reason why oceanic 815 uh, or oceanic Eight, uh, airlines deserves an lvp point this week because that's a lot of money that they lost yeah considering that she was able to buy out what seems to be one of the most like uh, you know, prodigious. How did she do it? Multi multitasking industries in South Korea. She's how did able she to do buy it? it out. Yeah. How did she do it? Uh, but she did. Um, the numbers were good in in terms of that. Uh, so good for her. Uh, a huge, huge, huge win for for Sun. And smell you later, Mister Paik. Mm-hmm. Don't let the door hit you on the backside as you leave the Soul Gateway Hotel along with Jin's really crappy boss back mm-hmm. in the day. Um, so we go from that. I, the flash forwards continue, right? Yep. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to pick up with Hurley driving his crappy ass car up to his mansion, you know, carrying a bag of Mr. Clocks. You can take the put the guy in the mansion, but you can't uh, take, you know, the old lifestyle out of Hurley. But things are spoopy. Nobody's home. He's calling for, I guess, Mr. Tron and Lady Tron were hired. Oh, again, they got rehired. Yeah. yeah. After everything in Trisha Tanaka. And then Hurley, and this is like a, a bit of a, a mislead as well, right? Because we know the path that Hurley is going to go down. You think initially, oh, this is where Hurley starts to begin to snap in a manner of speaking. And I'm sure Hurley thinks that as well. He runs into a coconut. He starts to hear whispers and he picks up the gold Jesus statue prepared to just flat out Farkas someone that's going to come into his house. Yeah. Uh, and then he comes and finds out that, no, it's just an island themed birthday party, which seems uncouth. Oh, uh, it is. It is incredibly uncouth. As, as an example, just to compare, uh, of course, we all know Aaron Ralston, right? The story of 127 hours, the guy who fell within a crevasse and had to cut his arm off. Imagine if the next a couple months after he comes home, it's his birthday, and his parents throw a surprise party with the theme of rocks and arms. Yeah. Like, that's, it's hitting way too close to home, despite Hurley coming across as maybe more well-fed than people would initially believe. They have still undergone a huge amount of trauma, and it is a survival story for the ages. Why on earth would you want to try to make light of that, or possibly shell-shock the guy like you nearly did, 
by going to Party City and getting palm trees and lays, etc. Yeah, it isn't great. It is. It's not ghost. <laughs> and it, listen, it's, it's not it's all ghost. Gonna, it's all going to fall on Carmen Reyes because Hurley's going to say my mom went overboard. Now there is a fun series of Easter eggs uh, in, in light of the recent holiday uh, that occurs throughout this scene that actually calls back a lot to Hurley's really fun flashback scene in Exodus, where apparently throughout the entire birthday party scene, there are four palm trees, eight balloons tied by the pool, 15 presents on the table, 16 party hats worn by people in the background, and then there were two boys crossing over. What do you think they the had p- as party favors? Uh, they had like free grab bags of Mr. Clucks, probably like some cool t shirts, uh, maybe like a custom scrunchie. Yeah, I guess uh, maybe some like some freshly caught fish or something to take home. Maybe some sea urchin, just, just don't let it sting you. Uh, maybe, or maybe just like some, some to go bottles of Hawaiian punch. Mmm, how about a nice Hawaiian punch? Oh, that reminds me of uh, Minute Made Orange Tangerine. It tastes oh, no. great. It's got as much exactly. calcium as milk. Oh, no. Where's uh, Robert Loja to show up at the door now? Robert Loja, enjoy your breakfast. Um, it's great. I love seeing Saeed and Nadia at the party. Yeah, and if you notice, you can see a little wedding band on Saeed's finger. I know, and it's such a shame they didn't even show us any of that. Really yeah, should have. I, mean, I don't know. So th- this also brings up some questions. So obviously, I, I don't know if Saeed and Nadia got married in like a small ceremony. In the extended press conference, Saeed also says he's never going back to Iraq. So I would imagine that the ceremony was not in in that country. And of course, tragic circumstances are going to bring him back to Iraq. But so obviously, the lie is a thing. But Josh, do you think Saeed told Nadia anything about what actually happened? Yeah, I I like to think that he told her everything. I do, too, because I think that at a certain point, Saeed, as much as we love him, is a bleeding heart romantic. And I think at a certain point, Nadia has lived such a life of secrecy that, he you know, like, who is she going to go to if I tell her everything that actually happened on the island? Yeah. Um, because, like, hmm. You know, it's it's interesting. These people have uh, have have all gone through a lot and like they've mm-hmm. they've they've in coming home they've they've won stuff they have uh they have lost stuff like each of them wins tons of money right uh but they lose trust in systems they lose trust in people they lose faith in people saeed despite what the ending will tell you has found his constant here Mm-hmm. You know, the penny to his Desmond is Nadia. I don't care what the ending says. and I don't care what we said at the start of Down the Hatch. Where we're like, this is kind of hot. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I think that he probably uh, has. I think he's probably at this point told her. I like to think so as well. And maybe it's just because, again, I would feel so terrible for Nadia if she finally sees this guy. He completely lies about everything that's happened to him for the past 108 days, and then she gets killed because of it. You know, it would just feel like tragedy upon tragedy. I want to have a little bit of light in this just ever-present dark room that Nadia is going to be in for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, how about we find out something else that's been going on behind the scenes while Hurley 
was gone. I love this so much, by the way, what we're about to get into. Uh, we're about to find out all about what David Reyes was up to after. Because, like, remember where they left their relationship, Mike? Right. They were in a bad way. Uh, and David said, I'll be here when you get back. And indeed, he was. And he spent all this time while Hurley was gone working on a thing. Uh, how about we listen in on Hurley and David Reyes? I told you I don't want anything. Hugo, it's your birthday. You got to get something. Not with the money. I don't want anything from the money. Relax. I got this before you gave us the money. Ta-da! Check it out. You fixed it. Yeah. After the crash, I... I worked on it as a memorial to you. When I was fixing it up, it was almost like I was with you. But now you're back. And it's all yours. Want to take it for a little spin? Wrong son? Is this some kind of joke? What are you talking about? 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Did you do this? To what? Those are the numbers. Right there, the numbers I won the lottery with. Wow, what a coincidence. No, no, not a coincidence. I don't want this. I don't want any of it. Hugo, wait a minute, Hugo, what are you done? Hey! Josh, it's official. David Reyes has become a good guy. Yeah, he's a good guy, except the problem being uh, the fact that, uh, oh, no. Oh, God, yeah. the numbers. They're bad. They're bad. Yeah, and so and so that's a really fun turn as well, right? That Hurley has found light in his life. I just love the line, you fixed it, because it is so deep in so many ways. Not only does it come from a purely mechanical perspective, but also from an emotional perspective that David has sort of fixed their relationship as well, or is at least in the process of doing so. It's a bit of a, a big, you know, body job. Uh, it might take a little bit of time in the shop, but the fact that David did stay, right, that he didn't take off again for another 17 years because Hurley and his money were gone, shows that he really did turn over a new leaf, and that boinking Carmen Reyes wasn't the only reason he wanted <laughs> to come back. So I, I'm really happy for that and this i do think that it's moments so like let this, me like, cover my ears before you said that <laughs> but it's it's moments like this that i have that, needs mike <laughs> then make that lead into you know uh that that lead into hurley bring a knocked out saeed to his place in season right. five right? right that hurley is able to confide in him about all this stuff because david reyes has now shown i was unreliable in the past i am reliable now but the tragedy in it is that Hurley is starting to begin the process of being haunted. And obviously it is not in the corporeal or metaphysical sense here with the ghosts or mini monster or whatever you want it to be. Here it's more so like a reminder of, yeah, you know how I said make your own luck? Well, the numbers are still following you. 
ha 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 you're still stuck in the devil's trap all right so jacob is gonna visit like all of the candidates before they come to the island in the incident except for hurley who he visits right. during like the the off island period literally of time. i think the ride to the airport um and so like there's like some there's some measure of thought that maybe hurley wasn't fully on Jacob's radar as like a serious candidate until then. And maybe at that moment, Jacob knows that Hurley's not just a candidate. He's like the candidate. He's the guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's because, and maybe this is why he's haunted by the ghosts of the Island. It's because he's, he ate those crackers. Oh, it's all about those 15 year old crackers. Uh, so he ate like Jacob's stash and now, like, he's, like, having, like, a really bad island trip. Oh, so Hurley went down the stash. He yes. ate some edibles from yes. Jacob. And now he's, like, now he's really feeling the effects. They, they settled yes. in his belly for about a couple weeks. And yeah. now they're finally coming out. Yeah, that's why, like, he's always, like, going to be able to see the ghost. Like, oh, Mr. Echo. Oh, Charlie. Michael. Michael. Oh, Michael. Oh, oh my God. It just never makes its way out of your system. It's never. just stuck there. Like, like it's the, the uh, f- food version of a mini monster, essentially. Yeah, it's part of your much. DNA now. Pretty much. Um, all right, so he's going to run. And then back on the island, uh, he and Locke and Ben are going to reach the orchid. Um, and it's unfortunate, Mike, because they didn't get there first. Yeah, and so... Hurley is going to find out, yeah, maybe when Locke gave me that exit ramp last episode, I should have taken it because basically they're at the Orca now and they say, oh, yeah, you know, there's no chance we're going to leave the island. And Hurley says, no, wait, wait, but I wanted to go. And Locke says, oh, it's it's absolutely too late. And look, I, I love Hurley, but I do feel like I don't know why he was being so naive in believing he could go with Locke, Mr. I don't want to leave the island and still believe he could leave the island. Yeah. Um. <sighs> This is all so tense. Like, the entire, like, seeing the three of them on the fringe while these, like, soldiers are, like, winding and weaving their way through the garden of the orchid. And you're like, well, how is this going to work out? We know Hurley's going to get off the island. We know Ben's going to get off the island. We have no idea what's going to happen to Locke. Was that sort of foreshadowing the end of this three-part episode then of like two of these are off the island actually all three of them are technically it's just one of them has not been accounted for at this mm-hmm. yeah uh it's just a great moment with ben being like they're here yeah and uh you know basically being like oh charles winmore has beaten us here and Locke says wait you told us that you have no idea what charles winmore wants with this island and ben just goes I wasn't being entirely truthful. And of course, Locke retorts, what are you ever entirely truthful? Yeah, he's not. He also gives Locke a gun, though, which like is a nice like uh, <laughs> signal of like the, the severity of the situation. Kind of surprised that Locke just doesn't like stand up, pop Ben in the head <laughs> like the end of The Departed. Uh, Imagine. And, and, and just like drag like- him over to Kimi and be like, will you leave? And then a, a rat comes crawling over the, the orchid to symbolize yeah. <laughs> uh, Locke is sold out. <laughs> this then. gnawing, teething rat. Uh, although I guess this would be bad because uh, they wanted Ben alive. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, and especially, you know, Locke needs to work with Ben at this moment. Ben has the info that he is refusing to disclose to Locke. So unfortunately, Locke needs Ben at this moment. Correct. Um, all right. So we cut to uh, the Zodiac making their way to the freighter. 
uh, a very awkward uh, reunion with um, with the Quans and Michael. Oh, I love that they're standing on deck and they hear Michael's voice and like you could see both of their hearts just drop. Yeah, right? because obviously very complicated relationship between the three to of say them. the least yeah and also the last thing they knew about them was that michael betrayed them right much like how saeed reacts initially so it's not like a happy reunion oh my god i can't believe you're alive it's more so like you sick ass traitor what are you doing back here i never thought i'd see you again yeah uh so they're gonna have like a really awkward conversation um pretty soon where they're like i didn't mean like i came here to save you people like, don't be yeah. mad at me. Exactly. Like, well, there's a lot of reasons to be mad at you. Just going back to season one. I kind of feel like Jin's whole thing is like, I'm not even mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> yeah. So I like, I just thought you were going to go live your life with your son and not my son. Again, let's not go back to season one. Yeah. Well, we're also trying to figure out what you the have hell your are... son and I have mine. <laughs> we're trying to figure out what the hell the people are doing on the Kahana now that right. The captain's dead. The doctor's dead, and Kimi's gone. It would appear so, that Desmond is now the pirate captain of the Kahana. Look at me. I'm yeah. the captain now. I'm the captain. I'm the captain now, brother. So, yeah. Look at like me, Des- brother. Desmond's leading the charge. Michael's fixed the engine. So now Desmond's, like, recruited one of the other Australian guys to be in the engine room. And it seems like they're good to go, but uh-oh. Call back to the season three finale, Josh. We're getting some more signal interference it appears that there's there's something down in uh in you know the innards of the ship that is blocking I guess like the it's the Bonnie <laughs> oh no it's Bonnie she's alive she she's uh unflooded looking glass Charlie's back exactly and then uh this is Greta but instead it's Regi- it's Regina uh, Mills aka the evil queen so like yeah. you, you killed her and she came back more evil than ever and now she's actually the man in black and she's yeah. gonna be the main antagonist yeah. Oh my god. Uh we just uh can you imagine if any of that was real? I listen, there's so many things I hoped that was real. We, we, if we can make mini monsters a reality, I think we can make <laughs> we can make uh, Lana Perea reappearing as a reincarnated evil queen as Greta to take over the boat and use it to her heart's desire. I think that's that's a I love the way that Lost Season 4 ends, but that would just be the cherry on top of this very, very delicious cake. Yeah. Uh, so the guy who's like driving the boat's like, all right, I'll keep driving. But if I get, you know, I'm not going to go too close. I don't want to get scrounged up on the coral reef. Uh, so, yeah. So Desmond's new mission is basically figure out the interference. But we're going to find out very soon that the interference is not exactly what he thinks it's going to be. Right. It's not it's not something you could jam onto some be- beach boys onto and unblock the signal. It is much more explosive. Right. Um, all right, well, back on the island, um, Jack and Sawyer, we're going to check back in with them as they are going to encounter someone that Jack knows a little bit, someone who Sawyer will meet for the first time, and like tragically, they will not have a lot of time together on this mm-hmm. show, so we got to savor every moment we've got between James Sawyer Ford and Frank Chesty Lapidus. Got yourself shaven. Julia took out my appendix a couple of days ago. Kidding me? Nope. What else did I miss? My hair. 
You know this, Yahoo? Yeah, Yahoo! This Yahoo dropped that phone on you guys so you could find me and I could fly you out of here. So why don't you do me a favor and get in that back compartment. There's a toolbox. See if you can find something to get me out of these things. You heard me, man. Well, all right. Could I get you boys a nice cold glass of lemonade while I'm back there? We're Desmond and Saeed. Your buddies were smart enough to keep their asses on the boat because right now that's the safest place to be. Because when the boys that I brought over here come stomping out of this jungle, you're going to want to be long gone. Where'd they go? They're up by some greenhouse. Perched up there waiting to snatch Linus. So once we cut you free, you'll be able to fly us out of here? Hell yeah. Hang on, Shaggy. You said the hit squad's going to grab Ben Linus. Well, I don't see what's going to stop them. What are they going to do with the people that are with them? Nothing good. Hugo's with Ben. One of the great things about that scene, Josh, is if you swap the last two lines between those two characters, it could make exactly the the same amount of sense, right? Like Sawyer (laughs) takes the Jack perspective of Hugo's with them, and then Jack does the classic Sawyer line, son of a bitch, in response to it. Yeah, that's really funny. Um, But there, you know, that's that's not uh, that's not how it is. It's it's Sawyer, who is the one who's like going to offer it up like this is a very different uh, man from the guy who like think back to like season one and like the transponder mission and like setting off the fireworks and stuff. Mm -hmm. And when Sawyer like gives up the game that Jack uh, is in the cave in uh, and he's like, ah, damn, didn't I tell you like that guy does not say like Hurley is with Ben and Locke. That guy says, oh, well, um, I guess we should just leave. Yeah. Or even look at season two of Sawyer, despite having some moments with Hurley, consistently calling him with all these nicknames. Sawyer regarding Hurley as Hugo here is is a big deal. Uh, I know that he probably had a period of sobriety with the nickname bet due to the ping pong match in season three. But it really does show that even like, Outside of those interactions, Sawyer's referring to Hurley as Hugo. I feel like that says a lot yeah. about how much he respects him and feels about him and thinks about him as a friend. Yeah, I mean, he's been calling him Hugo for a long time now. And like, I think that the love between those guys is pretty, uh, pretty apparent. Uh, so it, it, it's like a really lovely note, but it's also like some danger and like the Jack and Sawyer squad is sticking together. And like, you're still kind of wondering like, well, how's that going to? Yeah. How's that going to break up? Like you said, it's really sad. One of the the, the rare, you know, uh, regrets of Lost is that we don't get enough Sawyer and Frank rapport. Maybe it's because these two characters almost like fulfill the same one-liner purpose. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, having that, maybe you know, it's not multiplicative when they're in the scenes together. But I just love the like, you know this Yahoo? Yahoo! He's Yahoo. just so bel- belligerent. Yahoo. Like, I use Google, thank you very much. Yeah. Horus. For, conspir- for all my conspiracy searchings, that's the only search engine I use. Yeah. Um, so let's go off island, I think, one more time in this part of the yep. finale uh, for a really extended scene that we will listen to in its entirety. Um Jack just needed, I just need to go home. I need to bury my father. He needed to put his dad away so badly that uh, all these years later or all this time later, uh, he still 
uh, had to have the funeral service. Um, so he is going to eulogize his father. Uh, you wonder how long is this after he's returned? Yeah, it's a good question because son isn't there. Uh, but we basically have the rest of the Oceanic Six there. Right? Hurley's so they, there, right? I mean, I think Hurley's yeah. there. Hurley's there. So things haven't fallen apart yet. I, I don't believe that Jack and Kate are seeing each other because Aaron's still like a baby instead of a little kid. Like we get in something nice back home. So I'd like to think it's probably about a month or so yeah. out, right? Because I think at that moment, like you said, very much white rabbit energy of like, I just need to get this done. I could very much imagine Jack landing and once he sort of has got himself settled says like all right this is my last piece of unfinished business that yeah. i have to take care of yeah uh so that's that's gonna he's gonna he's gonna have the eulogy and then someone is gonna show up and it's gonna be mega ox and the whole thing is is a lot so uh let's just listen to the full thing strap in for a ride penultimate sound about 10 months ago i wrote what I wanted to say at my father's funeral on the back of a cocktail napkin at the Sydney airport. I don't remember what I wrote, but whatever it was, he would have hated it. <laughs> my father couldn't stand eulogies. The only good thing about a wake is the free booze, he'd say. <laughs> Not much of a wake because I won't even be able to bury him. So, what I want to say is not for my father. It's for me. Goodbye, Dad. I loved you. I miss you. the reason he was in Australia when he died. I'm sorry. I don't understand. Why would he have come to see you? Oh, he... He didn't come to see me. I was still in the hospital. I never saw him. He came to see his daughter. My daughter, Mr. Shepherd. father didn't have a daughter. Yes, he did. If you don't believe me, check his phone records. Would you like to know the strangest thing about all this, Mr. Shepherd? My daughter was on your plane to 
She was on flight 815. You were in the air for six hours. Probably just a few rows from her. You never even knew she was your sister. She was one of the ones who died when your plane hit the water. Her name was Claire. I didn't mean to burden you with this, but you needed to know. I'm sorry for your loss. Your son is beautiful. Thank you. Your son is my grandson. <laughs> exactly. She just walks through and like completely outs the, the she gets she presses down the whole family tree. Essentially, <laughs> she's got everything pegged. Fun fact, Josh, evidently, if you go through a coma, you wake up an entirely different person because this is not the Claire Littleton from, or Carol what Littleton from, ever fine. Well, listen, this, this is not the last time, right? We talked about fake Penny yeah. in the photos from season two. Yeah. It's just it's just a fun thing that this yeah. is uh, Susan Dwerden, I believe is, is her name, and uh, Arlene Newman Van Asprin was the the knocked out Carol Littleton that we saw in Paul and Par Avion. Too many Van Asprins. Yeah, exactly. You need to take a lot of aspirin. At least Jack looks like he's going to because oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, this man. is a shell shock for Jack. And I would say on the one hand, like, yes, this is something that we already knew, but I absolutely love this scene because of the way Jack reacts to it. You know, yeah. like it's almost it's almost Shakespearean in that we know something that the characters don't, and but when the characters do find out about it, it is just gutting. And it means so much to Jack. In this moment, because again, Jack has been trying to keep up this ruse, keep up this lie, maintain this this narrative. And I personally think in this moment, Jack's mind is legitimately blown. And I think he's finally starting to realize all the people he left behind and all the people he failed uh, in trying to escape the island because he just realized that one of the very people that he wasn't able to save was his own damn half-sister. And so I do think that Jack has a long way to go until he gets down that slippery path that we find in the flash-forwards of Through the Looking Glass. But I do think this is a very key step to, I think, maybe breaking the reverie of Jack Shepard trying to be, you know, the, the quarterback in the locker room on the plane of the beginning of this episode to the final flash-forward of this episode when he basically just finds out, yeah, you were able to be one of the Oceanic Six, but hey, one of the people you left behind was literally family. Yeah. Yeah, it ain't great. And it does seem to like break him in a pretty big way. Um, where like, you know, it's going to be him sort of like, a, it's going to be like a big like uh, dent in the armor of lies. Right. Mm. Where like he's like surrounded in this lie and he's living it and he's just like trying to move on uh, and not think about any of it. 
Um, but this is like something that like he can't, you know, he's trying to move on with Claire. He thinks like he can at least like take care of the kid. Um, and then to learn that like, no, like he's more connected to this child than he knows. And that he has lost his sister, that he had a sister. It's also another reminder of like his father's like secret life and all the things he didn't know about him and all of the ways in which like all the anger that he feels there. He's trying to bury his father, but he finds out that he never can. Right. His father's legacy is still here. And actually speaking of this, you know, obviously the Carol Littleton stuff is, is the big to do, but do you want to talk briefly about the eulogy, Josh, any thoughts about what Jack does end up finally saying at his dad's funeral? No, you know, he's like at, I think that it's again, like it's one of those things where like you tell yourself that like you've moved on, you're moving on and it's and onward we go. And then like this pops back up and all of the old wounds are reopened. Um, so it's like, I think like it's, it's almost sort of like surface level stuff that I don't think that he's really, he's not really there. I think he wants to believe that he's there. He's not. He hasn't processed his trauma. He hasn't processed his his grief. He hasn't processed not just like the island trauma, but his like the totality of his life. Um, and I think that he thinks that because he got off the island and he saved a few people and he's like saving more people by lying because like John Locke's he got to lie. And so he's going to mm-hmm. do it um, that like he's doing a noble thing. And so he's able to just move on. But he's not. Um, so the words at the funeral, though, like maybe like nice, they are hollow. They, they do not, not they do not stay. Uh, and, uh, it all falls apart in the face of this. Uh, yeah, I think to your point, really well put, um, he's trying to bury his father. His father won't stay buried. Well, and I think also you see that in Jack's final words of the eulogy. What I want to say is not for my father. It's for me. It's for goodbye. me. Goodbye, Dad. I loved you. I miss you. It's a little Walter White-esque, right? Of, of hey, I, I was doing this for my dad, but then I realized at the same time, it's fruitless. He can't hear me at this point, despite the visage that I saw of him on the island. I'm doing this for me. This is my way to get closure. But that door is never going to stay fully closed until the very last scene of the series. That casket. Yeah. Um. <laughs> exactly. And it's also very grim that Jack tells Kate he had a lot of practice. Uh, doing the eulogy because yeah it's a, it's a, it's another reminder of how many people jack had to bury both you know and leaving them behind but also quite literally the number of dead people that he had to give eulogies for on the island yeah um so back uh in the past uh Jin and son and michael are catching up it's very uh, awkward it's like so have you been yeah so yeah. how did you and walt get off the island we like took a boat we sold the boat we went back home i told him i killed the people he doesn't talk to me anymore uh now i'm working for ben no not for ben <laughs> no, i don't work for listen, him i'm trying to save you all listen he might have gotten me on this boat and gave me the fake identity and gave me the briefcase and the mission to to, to kill everybody on the boat but no i do not work for him but Jin shows how far he has come since they last encountered each other, where Michael says, oh, can you translate for that for Jin? And Jin basically just, you know, blinklessly stares at him and says, oh, yeah, I got every word of that. You know, I've learned English. I listen to Sawyer. I listen to Sun, and I have you read to rights right now, buddy. Yeah. Um, so it's it's tough, but it's at least it's, like, mitigated by um, by Desmond showing up. I need you guys very important thing help 
Yeah, there's like uh, there's like 50 boxes of C4, I think. Like the prop department got cleaned out and it's all on the boat and I need help right now. There's a mountain of explosives. Help me defuse explosion mountain. Yeah, and so Jin is going to send Sun back to the deck. Is is this going to like the is this going to be the last time they see each other in season 4 for quite some time? Other than other than her lifting off in the helicopter. Yes. Yeah, because I because I don't think he goes back on deck right until Michael tells him to go ahead with the fire extinguisher and everything. Correct. So, like the last nice moment they've had was getting in the boat. Oh my! The Zodiac. God. It's already happened, and so then we will only have uh, sideways excluded. Um, we will only have like one really nice moment with them again. Yep, and it and it lasts for about an episode. Yeah, yeah. So cool. Yeah, we're we're in the Quan Endgame. Unfortunately, the Quan game. It sucks. Uh, it but sucks. just as their time is ending, so is Richard Alpert's time beginning. Yeah, and I guess ending on season four of Lost. Yeah, so like Caton and Saeed are going through the jungle, and as they're going through, uh, they realize that they're being uh, followed, and indeed are surrounded by the others. And Richard Alpert showing up basically like uh, in full Howie Mandel mode of let's make a deal. So, I mean, due to the shortened season, obviously, there are a lot of mainstays of Lost first three seasons that really only show up in the last bit of it. We talked about Mr. Paik before he's going to make his first and last appearance in this episode. Richard Alpert's going to appear in the next two episodes, but it is a little surprising that him and the remnants of the others have remained on the outskirts and off screen for this long to the point where you could almost forget about him until the signal mirror brings him back onto the show. Yeah, they were in the temple, you know? Yeah, I and mean, I guess Richard was technically in last week's episode, but I guess I meant more so present timeline. Right sure, now. sure, sure, sure. No, that that all that all tracks. So uh, he's like, let's make a deal. Let's work on a thing together. Uh, and meanwhile, we are going to see uh, Benjamin Linus with John Locke and Hurley uh, this is like the infamous, I always have a plan moment, right? Yeah, and this is going to go straight into the ending, which again is going to be wordless, but it's going to play that beautiful Giacchino song that we heard when the tailgate came down in the very beginning of the episode, only a bit more of a sneer to it. And then it leads back into some dialogue as Ben finally does what Kimi has been asking him to do this entire season. He offers himself up. So this is the rest of the episode. Let's listen to it. Sound number eight. I see two of them, but not the one who killed Alex. He's there. Hold on to that for me, will you? What? Listen to me very carefully, John, because I'm not going to have time to repeat this. You're going to go into that greenhouse through that hole there. Once inside, you're going to turn left. Go about 20 paces until you see a patch of anthuriums on your left. They're in an alcove against the north wall. Face that wall, reach down with your left hand, you'll find a switch that activates the elevator. The elevator takes you down to the actual orchid station. Whoa, wait, what? Okay. I'm sorry, Ben, but maybe I missed the part where you explain what I'm supposed to do about the armed men inside. I'm going to take care of them. And how the hell are you going to do that? How many times do I have to tell you, John? I always have a plan.
is Benjamin Linus. I believe you're looking for me. Mike, what if Ben's plan is tell Locke how to get into the orchid, let him figure out how to move the island? Mm. <laughs> John Locke was a sucker. And like to drag out the Kimi stuff as long as humanly possible so that Locke has all that time to do it. Ooh, the Ben bait. Well, I mean, and then it, from that perspective, wouldn't then Ben say, okay, then you're going to go down a ladder. Make sure you put on a jacket. It's cold. Then you're going to want to push this frozen donkey wheel. Ignore the polar bear skeletons. Yeah. Uh, maybe then he would have gone further with the plan. Actually, a fun part about said plan. So Ben's going to tell Locke, you know, go activate the elevator switch behind the anthuriums. The anthuriums are those infamous red flowers that Yemi appeared to when they, he killed Mr. Echo in The Cost of Living. Right. Uh, but he doesn't know what that looks like. Uh, it's it's such a funny line where he's like, I don't know what they look like. <laughs> yeah. I know, I'm not a botanist. Yeah, uh, it's great. But I, I also, it's a, it's a fun little, much like we talked about for a lot of last week's podcast, though, might be a possible call forward to how Locke might get tossed into uh, engagements with someone who knows his way around Anthuriums in the future. Yeah. Uh, perhaps. Perhaps it is a little call forward to his monstrous future. Um, it's a great final montage, just like sort of establishing where everybody is. Um, and it's worth establishing because uh, they're all over the map and like the Oceanic Six are in uh, very like dire straits right now. Sun is on a boat that's going to blow up. Yep. How is she going to connect with the with the people on the island? Like it. And and how is Jin not going to, you know, be with her? Like, the whole thing is just very messy. And they only have two hours left to, to tie it up. It's a really exciting um, end to this chapter. That, yeah. like, in that, like, leading into that two weeks, it's like, come on, really? Um, no, not 14 days, please. You know, when you do view it all as one entity, it's obviously a lot better. But... Um, you know, it is it is a lot. It's uh, it's it's a lot up in the air still uh, as we're we're closing this thing out with the music. That's very appropriate, uh, like, you know, sort of like appropriately, um, you know, the like the like sort of like the mournful uh, tone of that uh, is like it's got like this action adventure quality to it. Where, like, in order for everybody to leave, you got to imagine some action adventure is going down. Yeah, it's it's homecoming, but at what cost? And I, I love how a theme that gets introduced even earlier on in the episode, if we're talking about bookends, it's such a really great way to close out the episode where we start with the Oceanic Six all together. Here, they are scattered to the winds. I mean, just to, to reset where our, all of our characters are, so... Ben, who we know makes it off the island, is about to surrender himself to guys that are capable of just torching the entire island, as they put it. As you mentioned, Sun and Aaron, two members of the Oceanic Six, are on the deck of a boat that is set to explode alongside Desmond, who we don't know makes it off the island yet. Michael, who, you know, we don't is who is planning to die there, and Jin, who we think is dead. Jack and Sawyer, one of whom makes it off the island, one of whom doesn't, are off to find Hurley. 
The others are with Kate and Saeed, both of whom make it off the island, yet they seem to be captured right now by the island's residents. And then Locke and Hurley, one of whom, both of whom actually end up making it off the island, but one of whom we know at this point does, are just standing there in the brush and has been vehemently told, you will never get off the island. It's a fantastic cliffhanger of, okay, we learned a little bit of information, but man, things seem even more divided now than they were before. And I, I really do like this ending. To go back to your earlier question, if we would rate the episode, you know, I was thinking maybe like a four or a 4.1 because I was thinking like, I really like so much of this episode. There's no weaknesses in my opinion, but it's missing like that final judge classic loss scene to really push it into the 4.2. But listening back to a lot of these and especially the Carol Littleton Jack scene, which I consider a classic scene in particular. I think this really does push it. I think it's a 4.2, even on its own. Even on its own, I don't know. Just completely on its own, I think for me, it's probably like a 4 or 4.1, which is still really, really great. But then like when you combine it with next uh, next week, it's just, you know, it's lights out. The whole thing in its, in its entirety is just so exceptional. But I think without like that that netting underneath it of the next two parts... It's almost like, are you guys insane that like you, you, you had the writer's strike. You have so much that you have to juggle. You have so much that you have to do to like make all of this make sense. And like, this is how you do it. Like you're, you're just like spreading them out even further. Like, oh my God, you idiots. Uh, but of course then they do it beautifully. Uh, they, yeah. they, put, they tie it all together very, very beautifully. So I think like probably just in isolation on its own for me, it's like a four, four point one, still really, really, you know, elite, uh, but in concert with everything else, uh, a 4.2, uh, Mike, before we get into MVPs, LVPs, I do realize that technically we have another Benjamin Linus beatdown to add to the BLB counter with him getting uh, clocked oh. in the head with a gun. Oh, that's by a very Kimi. good point. Um, which I think for me would probably be fairly easy to to rank. This is the rankings so far. Let's just go through them really quick to reset them. Uh, number one is Jack beating up Ben uh, in the season three finale. Number two is when Danielle harpoons Ben Linus in their uh, in his very first scene. Then number three is Saeed beating up Ben in the hatch. Number four is Rousseau elbowing Ben in the face. Number five is uh, Sawyer beating up Ben uh, during Confirmed Dead. He really does kick the crap out of him. Number six, we have Ben's surgery. Number seven, we've got what we have dubbed Schrodinger's shelf from Lockdown. Uh, number eight is when Locke beats up Ben with a crutch. Number nine is Russo punching Ben again in the season four uh, premiere. Uh, number 10 is when Sawyer punches Ben a little bit more even in Confirmed Dead. The encore is just not as exciting as the first time. Mm-hmm. And then in last place, we have when Sawyer punches Ben in the mouth in Every Man for Himself. Uh, and my question, Mike, is where does Kimi hitting Ben in the face with a gun uh, rank in terms of those final two Sawyers, because I don't think it's going to go any higher than that for me. No, I think it's episode 12 of season four. Let's make it moment number 12. Yeah, I, I think, think it's think- fine. Uh, like, it's probably like a bigger moment than when Sawyer punches him in season three. Uh, but I feel like Sawyer punching him over like the fake bunny things is just funnier. And I also think it's bunnier and funnier. I yeah. think that this, the Sawyer moment has more catharsis, I think, because like you said, uh, ben has kind of been jerking Sawyer around for the entire episode, conning him. And it does lead into like a really 
great ending scene where Ben says, yeah, you can punch me in the face, but I still am able to manipulate you. Yeah. Here, it's more so like, a, all right, this is a way to end it. I think Kimi's going to get much more sort of torture over on Ben and vice versa in the next couple of episodes. So it's definitely, I think, the most nothing burger BLB we have we've had so far, even though I'm sure Kimi's happy with it because now he finally gets his hand or the butt of his gun on Benjamin Linus. Let's do MVP LVPs, Mike. I've got three MVPs. You've got two. You've got three LVPs. I've got two. Next week, how do we want to do this? Do we each just like get an extra MVP and an extra LVP? Is that how it tends to work? Yeah, I'm sure we only did we did that for season three because it was just such a big two hour episode. We didn't do it for live together, die alone. So I think let's let's watch the episode and see uh, if we feel like because through the looking glass had so much happening in it that we felt this the is going to have a ton. I, th- I think each of us should get at least like it, maybe we both get like an extra MVP spot. Maybe we you both. Know, you know, maybe what we should do is because right now we have five MVPs, five LVPs. Let's add one to each to, in honor of the Oceanic Six. Let's I think do we that. Do six yes. MVPs, six LVPs. Great, sold, totally. All right. Uh, so MVPs. I already told you Sawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Sawyer. Sawyer just like marching all the way across the jungle, marching right back, looking out for Hurley. Great, Josh Holloway. This is like some table setting for a really amazing Sawyer episode in the finale i'm gonna give a point to sun because she's so damn badass and you know sun might get another point next week just due to yunjin kim's like incredibly horrified reactions to everything that happens but here she is a stone cold badass sending her dad sprawling on his ass um, in a moment years in the making and she's able to pull you know outsmart the businessman in his own game so i have to give her massive kudos for that Sun is suddenly in MVP contention because uh, I am giving her a point as well, which means she has four MVP points this season. Uh, you know, Frank Lapita is still in the lead with six. I think Frank's probably going to take it would be my guess. Yeah, because Frank's uh, going to get one, at least one next week because he does successfully fly the Oceanic Six off the Very island. likely, very likely. But Sun is going to get uh, a point from me as well. So that brings her up to four. Uh, so that is exciting. And also I gave one to Saeed for the reasons I outlined earlier, which gives Saeed four MVP points as well. Uh, so for the first time in a little while, it feels like Saeed is once again in like Ooh. season MVP contention right now. Yeah, though, I mean, we have below them. I know Bernard and Jen are at three. They're probably not going to get many points. Monster's not going to get anything. Uh, you know, I'm giving my other point to Daniel Faraday, who's now at three. So, you know, it, it, I don't think he, he's going to catch up with Lapidus anytime soon, but there might be some competition going on for who's going to silver medal this. But like I said before, Daniel Faraday springs into action here. Uh, it's clear that I think he has some remorse towards 815, plus he wants to get the hell out of there, too. And even though he won't be successful in doing so, I appreciate the effort he makes here, especially in light of everyone turning on him and him really getting egg all over his face with everything from the past few episodes. All right, let's talk LVPs. Um, who do you got? Well, I'm going to give, I'm just going to give my three right here. Cause it's a, it's a two points and a one point. One point goes to Carmen Reyes again for just terribly tasteless party planning. And I'm giving my other two and I'm so happy. I'm giving my other, t- I, I didn't realize uh, when I was doubling up on points here that this would be this guy's last appearance, but yeah, let me bury Mr. Pake here. Yeah. in LVP points like dude sucks I'll say I'll give him one LVP point b- 
because uh, he gets positively owned by his daughter and completely gets the rug pulled out from under him, and B, because he's an asshole uh, and can, doesn't even like pretend to regard his daughter's homecoming with any sort of emotionality. Yeah, you know what? I had said that I was going to give LVP points to Oceanic Airlines in the media. Um, and I do still stand by uh, how bad the press conference was and that Oceanic Airlines probably could have vetted all of this better. But who am I to turn down the opportunity to bury Mr. Paik one last time? I'll dump both my LVP points on him as well. Yeah, so that's uh, going to be in one episode, Mr. Paik has gone four lvp points and i do wonder if on top of his previous season's points if this he's got to be hanging in there we don't have that data right in yeah, front of I, us i don't think i don't think he's in anthony cooper territory but no. he's definitely one of the worst daddies he's definitely oh he's very much one of the worst daddies for sure uh so bye bye mr paik smell you never mm-hmm. next week mike we finish season four or at least we finish our season four recaps we will have our season four feedback special after that and just a programming note we'll have a bonus show after our season four feedback special just to give us a little bit of a buffer before we launch into season five that's the current plan um so we've got the season four part two and three finale next week followed by our feedback special followed by a bonus podcast followed by season five we're so close to season five oh my god I know it is so it's crazy sad to be to do to season four season four has been so fun it's been like just like shot out of cannon stuff it's been really really cool so that being said you all can get us your ratings for there's no place like home again we're rating all three episodes so even though we're a third of the way through the episode make sure you give us your ratings about all three episodes all together make sure in general you get in all your ratings for season four as well usually the way we do these things is by the time the feedback show is recorded those scores are locked so you want to make sure you get everything in before we record said feedback show coming up in a couple weeks and you know what actually when you're listening to this you might as well just send us any and all feedback you have for season four in general not just not just there's no place like home parts two and three because again there's obviously due to our new recording schedule a lot that we were not able to discuss in response to stuff that you have sent us since our recordings and we hope to get to all of that fantastic feedback in our feedback show so it's really going to be all-encompassing of of season four so even if it takes about the beginning of the end you might as well send them in now while it's at the tippy top of your brain so that yeah and i think also like yeah i think like forward looking to season five as well um you know we're in like sort of this really interesting point in the show where we're we're saying goodbye to an era um and we are launching forward into what many would consider some of like not the most divisive because i think the most divisive is probably maybe the divisive is the right word actually because i think that it's less about division with that final season yeah Um, it's, it's less so it's more so i'd say like what level of hostility do you have not towards even necessarily of what level six? of hostility but like i think you know there's like it's like a majority opinion that you know the final season is probably among the weaker seasons if not the weakest season even if you love it you know i think just like relative to to so many of the other things um so, someone's going to like blast me for that take but uh listen 
I'm podcasting about Lost all these years later. Clearly, I love it, and I'm actually excited to get to the final season, believe it or not. I'm really excited to get to the final season. Um, but season five, I think, is like the controversial one. It's the time travel one. I do know that that's divisive. I maintain that it is uh, stealthily uh, maybe the best season. It's just so tightly plotted. It's so weird. It's so trippy. At the very least, it's just like so extremely my shit. Um, I know I say that every single time. That's how much I love the show. I'm really looking forward to talking about it, Mike. Yeah, and we're only a couple of weeks from it. I'm very excited to, you know, uh, to relitigate it, uh, not to get ahead to where we're talking about in the season four feedback show, but it's definitely, especially coming off of season four, it was it was very much for me like a wow, we're going in this direction. But I've really come around to to love so much of it, particularly when we know the full arc of everything. And as you mentioned last week, I do think probably the best form of the man in black and John Locke's body is what we get at that tail end of, of season five when we don't actually know it. So I'm just really excited to reinvestigate it all. It also has a new narrative structure, right? And almost like the twin plot lines with the time travel at the same time as the on Island stuff. So there's a lot of new territory to explore, but first we got to leave the Island and Josh, we're finally doing that next week. Yeah. Oh my God. My goodness. All right. So that's happening next week. Get your feedback in for that feedback show. Uh, subscribe to the podcast if you have not done so already. Your ratings and reviews. And consider signing up for the Patreon as well. Post your recaps. We are on Patreon, folks. Patreon.com slash post show recaps. Join the Discord. Play Dungeons and Dragons with me and Mike Bloom. Roll some mm-hmm. dice in the Wario Casino. Take a chance. I don't think we're really rolling dice in the casino. Sometimes we do uh, if we want to figure out uh, certain like tiebreaker stuff. But join us. We're having so much fun. We're talking down the hatch. We're talking all sorts of shenanigans. Sometimes people listen to down the hatch and believe that one or two co-hosts uh, say they're going to kill someone and also and then listen back copiously through the audio to find moments where we talk about killing things out of context. Yeah. Uh, so that's great. That's how we like to do it, Mike. Absolutely. Listen, we are so happy with the dedication that all hatchlings on and off Patreon have, have you know, uh, have shown over the course of I mean, Josh, we're we're nearing like uh, the the two year mark. We're uh, several months away from it, but you know, time travel things get super quick here. Things get wonky when time travel is involved. We will not get to time travel quite yet, uh, although sort of, kind of, we will next week uh, when yeah. the island skips around in time. Um, we will be back in no time at all. Just one week. Just hang in there. We'll be back. It's going to be fine. We'll be right back. I'll be right back. Uh, you know, we'll be back sooner than Jack Bauer's worst day. Jack Bauer's worst day will feel longer than the wait between yeah. now. You won't and the next feel episode. as beaten up as getting thrown down a flight as of Lynn stairs. Lynn Kresge, yeah, on season two of 24 when she got thrown down the flight of stairs. Uh, and Mike Novick was a traitor. Let's see, we're, much like there's no place like home, we're finishing things where we started. Yeah, aren't we? indeed, absolutely. All right, we'll be back next week. Take care, everybody. Bye bye.